Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast featuring exclusive content and interviews with leaders in the WordPress community, covering everything from development to integrating your digital marketing strategy with WordPress. Join host David Vogelpohl of WP Engine and special guests from across the community as they keep you up to speed on the latest advancements in WordPress. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at WPDavidV or subscribe to the latest episodes of Press This on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at WMR.FM. In today's episode, we have a very juicy topic. We're going to be talking about how WordPress publishers are dealing with the existential threat of ad blocking. And joining us for that conversation is someone very familiar with this. I'd like to welcome back to Press This, Mr. Bill Erickson. Bill, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, glad to have you on today. I know that for uh, folks, you know, building publishing sites or managing them directly, or maybe they're a freelancer agency, um, the notion of ad blocking and, and the impact it has on the revenue sites make is on the top, I think, of everyone's list these days, particularly with the kind of growth of ad blocking and, and changes to browsers in general, um, just even broader things on the web. Uh, but before we kick off into all that, Bill, I was hoping you could briefly tell me your WordPress origin story. I know you told me before, but I forgot it. <laughs> well, uh, so back in 2005, um, I was a finance major in college, and I began building WordPress sites on the side. Uh, this is before there were pages in WordPress. Everything was just a post. Um, and then when the financial crisis hit, all the job opportunities for finance majors went away, and I decided to try freelancing full-time, and I never looked back. All right, good deal. I bet you there's stories like that brewing now around the <laughs> pandemic and the lockdowns. Lost my job, started building, or maybe just mm -hmm. uh, did it on the side and uh, turns into a career. Hope you inspire others, Bill. 
Um, you recently, you were like freelancing for the longest time is like under the Bill Erickson brand, mm -hmm. but now you formed a company and you're like doing stuff now. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, um, like I said, I've been freelancing for a really long time, but, um, from pretty early on, I realized that, uh, clients didn't just need a developer. They often needed a designer and developer. Um, and, um, I found some designers I liked working with. And so it became a sort of informal process of here are my recommended designers started partnering with some, and then it became a bit more formal. These are just the ones I work with. So it's been about an eight year process, but it was, about time to finally coalesce around a company name. We're a team of seven now and doing everything under my personal brand was getting a little stretched. So uh, we launched Cultivate WP, which is an agency specializing in WordPress publishers. Awesome, good to know. Um, I remember at WordCamp US in St. Louis, seeing y'all all crowded around a breakfast table, dreaming <laughs> about the improvements you were gonna make to your publishing clients. I know you got a good team over there. A good group of folks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's get to the topic at hand. And I, I think like it's important to set the stage here. So how has ad or cookie blocking increased in the last few years? Like what has gotten perhaps worse about it from the publisher's perspective? Yeah, well, ever since ads started appearing on websites, there have been ad blockers. Um, but um, for the most part, it was sort of a niche thing. The majority of users didn't have ad blockers, um, so it wasn't really a big issue. Um, that started to change recently. Um, Safari and Firefox have now blocked third-party cookies, um, and Chrome is getting ready to do that in 2022. Um, and the key there is third-party cookies um, are um, a very important part for making the advertising model working. And so um, without third-party cookies, uh, ads don't really work. Um, and we're already seeing that um, in Safari and Firefox, uh, we're seeing RPMs drop about 60% um, compared to Chrome where they still have third-party cookies. So you know, notice you kind of mentioned both, like the rise of the use of ad blockers in general and then third-party cookies, but you, you specifically called that out in the, the third-party cookies when you said RPMs were dropping 60%. Uh, with these changes for some of the publishers you're working with. It, it, do you make that distinction? Like is third party more like the the issue du jour or is it kind of both? Uh, it's, it's mostly the third party component. So advertisers use third party cookies to track you across the web. Um, and this allows them to create highly targeted advertising campaigns, at very specific segments. For instance, um, at Cultivate WP, if I wanted to run ads to attract new clients, I'd pay a much higher CPM to get in front of a thousand food bloggers than just a thousand random people online. Um, and so that is really what um, has driven display ads the way they work now. Um, and that's also what's driven the high RPMs that publishers are seeing because people are able to really segment and display relevant ads to your audience. With the loss of those, uh, the ability to track users, we're back to generic ads shown to everyone, revenue goes down. A lot of advertisers might say it's not even worth throwing ads into this market. Um, and so now the publishers and advertisers are trying to scrambling to figure out a, a new solution to this problem. I remember my first experience with digital ad buying back in the day, one of the first lessons I learned was that the more targeted you are, the more expensive the ad buy is. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like what you're kind of pointing out here is that because publishers can't show uh, ads to targeted groups of individuals via the third party cookies, that what that's resulting in is less ad spend, uh, per, you know, per um, uh, milli, um, uh, 
per thousand impressions, basically. And so thus the publisher get, gets less revenue. Um, maybe you could dig into that a little bit, though. Like, how specifically is this affecting publishers? Like, they just have a lower overall, lower overall ad revenue. Um, any other effects you think are, are worth noting? Uh, so, so I mean, the first thing is that it's affected a small segment because Chrome is still by far the most um, used browser. And the fact that it's rolled out on these other browsers first has given us the opportunity to see what effect we're seeing down the line. Um, but also because Google's business depends on ads, they're not just going to completely abandon the advertiser. So they're actively working to try and come up with solutions to make the ad business continue to work. So um, luckily there is some light at the end of the tunnel and there's some new solutions coming down the line that should hopefully make the um, ad revenue go stay where it is or go up, um, but also just make the web a better place and less dependent on um, very obtrusive tracking of everyone. Right, that's a good distinction because it's not, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's a balance between the user's experience the ability of the publisher to monetize and keep this with advertising and keep the content free. Um, and then I guess the technologies that are available uh, to do all those things. Um, but that's really an interesting distinction though uh, around losing some access to intrusive tools, uh, but maybe replacing them with, with things that are uh, achieve similar outcomes without, without being so intrusive. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that, uh, tracking codes, at least to me prior to this, are kind of the most valuable part of a display ad. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but why do you think that? Like, why are the tracking codes so important? Well, I mean, the like we said earlier, the ability to um, understand your audience um, allows you to serve better ads, um, but it also allows you to gather more data about the user as they go around, around the web and just sort of build a better model of what that person is. That can get a pretty intrusive because you see every website they're at and, and um, really get a really detailed model of what that person is. And they don't necessarily need that much data to still get similar value. Um, but that's, that's why we're, we're seeing the ability of um, having that third party tracking codes through cookies um, as such a valuable component to the ads. Um, and there are some, some ad technology that has come out um, like with AMP that don't have that. And so we were able to use that as a comparison to see where, um, where the value is. Um, but uh, AMP is a little bit different because um, it lacks the tracking code, but it was also a smaller pool um, because a lot of advertisers didn't just create AMP specific ads. And so we saw even greater drops in ad revenue in the AMP space. So we were seeing um, 60 to 80% drop in RPMs compared to non-AMP ads. So um, it's it that was like our first inkling a few years ago. Um, and then recently with the move of Firefox and Safari, we're now we're getting a better idea of like, okay, what is the value of those third party um, tracking codes to uh, to, for analyzing traffic and how is that going to affect the, the revenue of these ads. All right, I do. It's really interesting to think about it going, hitting the smaller browsers first and then giving us a chance to figure things out uh, before it hits Chrome, I guess you said in 2022. Um, I want to talk to you about the AMP stuff uh, here in a minute, but I think, you know, thinking about that profile that you're building on that user behavior. It's so funny because like, I think like people think the worst when they hear that, like, oh my goodness, they know all the blogs I read and all the <laughs> weird stuff I read. And what are they going to do with this? And, and like, at the end of the day, they just want to show you an ad for men's shirts because you're a man and you like shirts. Um, and, and like, it, it, it's really interesting to think about like 
the technology we're using in the window gives us maybe too big a window, but at the end of the day, we're really just trying to show contextual ads. Um, I wanna dig into the AMP stuff though, because I know a lot of folks have been looking at that recently, um, but we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing Bill Erickson about WordPress and ad blocking, the existential threat of ad blocking. Um, Bill, right before the break, you were talking a little bit around the notion of tracking scripts and the notion of building this profile of users, ultimately to show them relevant ads. But the balance of that against technologies that are used that are too intrusive, and that's kind of the way I saw it anyways, is like the forces at play here. You talked about AMP, though, and you talked about how it had, at least in the context you were testing, like a 60 to 80% reduction in RPM. And for those unfamiliar, is revenue per thousand uh, uh, visitors, right? Is that how you're classifying right. it in this context? Okay, yeah. good. Um, and uh, the M can mean different things, I guess, in different contexts, but um, generally visitors. And, and, and so with, with, with Bill here, uh, but talk to me about AMP. Like, it's already blocking a lot of tracking for ads uh, in my understanding of it. And so like, how do those ads perform? I mean, you kind of talked about the revenue performance, but then also like, how does it work with like an AMP ad if, you, if all this blocking is happening? Right, so um, I mean, it helps to have a little bit understanding of what AMP is. AMP was Google's, or it is Google's attempt to um, make the web faster because the mobile experience um, can be painful on sites currently, especially if you're on a slow 3G connection. And so what they did is they built this um, set of technologies that allow you to create incredibly fast websites, um, zero second load times um, when coming from Google search results. Um, the DOM doesn't change, so everything, there's no layout shifts as things load. So there is a lot of really good things in there. Um, and, um, but because of that, it doesn't allow any JavaScript to allow things to change or allow you to track people or allow you to have cookies. Um, part of that was for speed. Part of it also is because uh, the way AMP loads is your website is actually served from the Google cache. Um, so your AMP page could be loading from different domains. And so those cookies just didn't work when the domain was different. Um, so because of that, AMP 
had its own form of AMP ads, um, which worked sort of like the ads used to work when we were hard coding websites back in the day where it's like you have an image wrapped in a link. You can put whatever you want on the link like the UTM parameters or stuff, but you're not loading arbitrary JavaScript in the back end to track that user to um, to do the sort of ad bidding where it's like we had this information on the user now let's go find the right ad in here. So it sort of took a step back to the way the ads worked like 10 years ago. Um, and due to that, plus also because it's a completely different ad format and so advertisers would need to go out of their way to create AMP specific ads. The pool of ads were small and the revenue on that was small. Google tried to balance that out a bit by um, by sort of like the carrot of um, giving you higher rankings and like the zero placements so you appear above the search results in like AMP carousels. And so some of our clients were sort of experimenting with that. They knew ad revenue would go down, but they were hoping that traffic would go up enough to, to balance it out. And some did, some didn't. Um, but for the most part, um, we found that most of our clients chose to, to not use AMP after a few months of testing it out. That's really interesting. I know with core web vitals coming into, you know, Google's view of ranking and speed in May, that AMP is often referenced as the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, from the publisher perspective, those that monetize through advertising and in particular through ad networks, it sounds like. I'm guessing for publishers that do you have many publishers that do like direct ad sales through their own business or, or are they yes. all using ad networks? For, for the most part, they're using ad networks, um, but there are some that, um, that do direct ads um, and, and manage their own ad inventory. Um, usually the, it's a bit more involved um, and offer additional perks and like user registration. So there's different like touch points in there, but um, yeah. Google Core Wide Web Vitals is, uh, it, Google got in a bit of trouble with AMP because they were pushing it a little too hard. And so now they're, um, instead of the carrot of improved search results, they're bringing um, a, a new approach, which is um, let's just raise the standards that we're expecting to be a really fast performance site. You can use AMP, you don't have to use AMP, but if you're not using AMP, you better make sure your site loads fast and is good for the user experience, like no layout shifts and stuff like that. So it's a similar approach, but now it's a little more open um, because you can get to that end result of a good user experience in whatever way you want, um, which opens up a bit more um, flexibility on the ad side, but then also on the publisher side, because you can really make the decision of what's important for you. I think that was a really interesting point, especially since you're talking about, you know, AMP. It's like getting there however you want. And really the, the limitation with AMP um, is, is kind of dictating how things should work, like not mm-hmm. using JavaScript to change things and um, so on and so forth. Uh, and obviously on the tracking side, that was an opinion. Um, right. It was essentially layered into AMP and you could have a different opinion uh, based on a lot of different reasons and just choose that. Um, it's it's interesting to hear you, you you position the favoring of AMP in search results around this notion of kind of making up for the fact that you're going to lose out on some ad revenue. Um, do you do you see or have you heard of a path for having more contextual advertising in the AMP context uh, for users other than just contextualization based on like the post content, like contextualization based on you know the kind of user based targeting you were talking about? Um, honestly, I haven't dived too deep into that particular topic. Um, I think the more, 
if AMP becomes more popular, there will become more options around AMP. The, the biggest problem with AMP right now when it comes to ads, besides not having the tracking, is just it's such a small market that the advertising, um, like ad thriving media buying, can't find enough advertisers to actually support those spots. Um, but if AMP was used by 50% of websites or something, then there would definitely be a lot more advertising opportunities and tools built on top of that. So um, it could be a potential long-term solution, but but given the 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 defocusing of AMP, um, the fact that they're now promoting sites that are just fast, they don't have to be an AMP site. Um, I think we'll see a little bit less emphasis on AMP going forward and more focus just on building a good, fast and um, website and looking at those core web vitals. Maybe, maybe there's an advertiser out there like, just, we need more publishers using AMP. And then the publishers are like, well, we need more, more advertisers doing AMP ads. Right. Uh, it seems like a chicken and egg thing. It's kind of interesting. Um, okay, so you mentioned that blocking um, third-party cookies will likely hurt uh, RPM. Now you explained how earlier, which was like, well, if you block the third-party cookies, you can't you know, track users across sites, build a profile on what they might like, and show them the right ads. Um, like, is this a, like, if third-party cookies are gone from, uh, if a site, say, uses AMP and so therefore isn't able to use third-party cookies, is that going to hurt their RPM like the next day? Or is this more of like an insidious thing that happens over time? Um, it will probably, yeah, it, it'll be like the next day. <laughs> when the, the, the switch gets flipped and third-party cookies don't work anymore, um, I would expect to see the RPMs go down. But, that's but like, I mean, like if you did it today as an individual site. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if you did it today as an individual site and you moved to AMP and you were using uh, AMP ads, you would likely see a decrease um, in the revenue pretty substantially because of you now no longer have access to those types of ads. But the idea is that by the time that Google is going to flip this switch, there will already be the resources in place where this will no longer be an issue. And so what Google has done, um, so there's really two ways uh, to deal with um, this future where there's um, not going to be third-party cookies. Like how do we make contextual ads without that? Um, there's Google's answer, and then there's the, uh, the wider answer for uh, the market that includes the other browsers. So what Google's doing um, is what they're calling their privacy sandbox. So what they did is they identify how are publishers using these third-party cookies and how can we build privacy-focused tools that give them those same benefits. Um, so an example of that would be what they call Flock, a federated learning of cohorts, where Google will anonymously group you with like um, browsing people, so people who, who look at similar websites and have similar interests. And then advertisers can target that flock without having to know any, any individual information about you. Uh, but that'll be limited to uh, the Chrome browser. Um, and then presumably Google would, would know, have to know the information on some level, so I'm sure privacy-minded folks will, will think about that aspect. Were there any other areas of, of Google's strategy? I want to get to the, uh, the other ones after the break, but anyone else on Google? Well, and so Google has this whole series of things, and they haven't really defined exactly all of the th things they're doing, but um, they're, they're sort of beta testing it all in this the general idea of the privacy sandbox. And so I haven't gotten into too much detail on all the little bits, but the idea is that instead of every advertiser or ad platform building their own knowledge graph on users and collecting more data than they necessarily need, Google will take a 
a stance where they are the ones deciding what is the right amount of information to collect and then make the right information available to those advertisers. So um, it, it helps in a, in a way because instead of lots of parties collecting all different kinds of information, we now have sort of a standardized platform that you can then query. It makes Google the clearinghouse for that, but it which makes, makes it incredibly powerful. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay, so, I got more questions. I have so many of your questions. Yeah. Uh, uh, build, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one training. A weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. We're in the middle of our episode talking about ad blocking and cookie blocking and the effect on publishers. We're interviewing Bill Erickson for that. Bill, right before the break, I'm starting to cut you off. So many good topics here. But you were talking about Google's approach which was this notion, as you put it, of like a privacy sandbox where fundamentally they would collect the data, cohort people anonymously, and then allow advertisers to target based on those anonymous groups. But we talked about how that kind of puts uh, Google at the very center of like being the clearinghouse of, of private data on the web, which of course has its own implications. Uh, but I'm curious, is there anything else on the Google side? And, and if not, uh, what, 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 what is everybody else going to do about this? Yeah, so on, on the other side, um, so I think everyone is going to interact with whatever Google is doing, but the everyone's not going to put all their chips into Google um, because, I mean, one, they want to build something that's not so dependent on one of their competitors um, as these ad providers. Um, but two, it's not going to apply to any of the other browsers like Safari and, and Firefox. So um, the more broader-based tool um, is what's uh, generally referred to as authenticated traffic. Um, so when you are on a website, if that website can know your um, identify you in some way, usually via an email. They can then hash that email and then use that as the tool for gathering 
related ads and identifying you. And so um, rather than depending on the third parties for tracking you across the web, the individual websites will um, encourage you to log in to get new features, to save your favorite posts, um, to access the newsletter, whatever they can do to grab your email and then use that email hash to, um, to generate relevant ads. And so there's gonna be a big push. I mean, there's always been a push to capture emails for email lists and, and stuff, but there's gonna be an even bigger push. Um, and so, so that's layer one is just getting the email address and then using that. Layer two is to collect as much first party data as you can and build your own graph of your own users. So that, that means um, once they're logged in on your site, letting them favorite their favorite content, um, leave comments, and then you can do an analysis of that to get an idea of sort of building that, that cohort of different types of people, but on your individual website, and then use that knowledge graph that you created to, um, to, to get more relevant ads. And the idea is that when you're building your own first party data, you'll know more about your uh, individual visitors than an advertiser will. And then you'll be able to um, generate even higher RPM than you could nowadays. Wouldn't the ad networks though have a better view of that user behavior with the third party cookies? Like, and how would an advertiser target a cohort on a specific site? And I'm just curious if you know, um, because like, wouldn't my cohorts be classified differently than someone else's? Right. So I think the the way it's going is the the ad networks themselves are going to be helping you create these first party datas and then integrate them into your into their system. So it'll be AdThrive and MediaVine that are doing it. So MediaVine has their new grow.me service, um, which is doing exactly that. What they're trying to do is um, help give you the tools to collect first party data that can then integrate into their larger picture um, and, and deliver rel more relevant ads across their entire network. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of steps. We're basically trying to recreate the way that the um, third party cookies and tracking work now, but using first party data and then integrating that into your overall system based on consent. And yeah, I was going to say, assuming you have the right consent and are following all the right laws, the downside is you don't get to customize ads for, you know, anyone that has cookies enabled, but the plus side is you're doing it for people where you have email addresses perhaps, and then, you know, maybe perhaps also how uh, insights from how they're engaging with your specific store. Um, now, I, I, you mentioned two ad networks that, that you work with that are doing this. I'm guessing like lots of other networks are doing the same. There's kind of like, it's kind of like the link networks, only now we're going to have, uh, what do you call it, authenticated traffic networks. Yeah, yeah. And all, all of them are, are working on similar things. And there's um, systems that are used to connect them so that you can authenticate your traffic and then connect it to different systems. Um, when it comes to the actual first party data collection, there's going to be... Um, a specific ad network based solution, sort of like grow.me is for Mediavine, but then there's also gonna be more general purpose ones. So Slickstream is something used by lots of publishers and it allows people to sign in, save their favorite content, get relevant content. Um, and then that data can also be passed to whichever ad network you're using. So that gives you a little bit more freedom to move between ad networks and carry your data with you. Ooh, there's always something new to learn. Thank you for sharing all this. Uh, last question. Um, what do you think the future of advertising is in this environment? It sounds like you think it's probably just going to kind of adapt and, and, and morph in these ways. But I mean, like, is it direct ad buys outside of the networks? Is it these um, authenticated traffic networks? Is it all of it? Like, how do you think it's going to change? 
Yes, I, I think it's if a lot is going to change, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to be about um, publishers diversifying their revenue sources. So on the ad side, you'll likely see like a, a more 80-20 breakdown where it's like 20% of your visitors deliver 80% of your revenue because those are the ones that are logged in, generating the data that gives you the really good ad impressions. And then 80% of your traffic is getting the generic ads that don't really deliver much. And then Ooh, on top a 20, of- That's a flip-flop. Right. And then on yeah. top of that, you'll be building on direct ad buys and um, ebooks and basically any other way. So you're not so dependent on a single source of revenue. Most of our customers have 80 to 90% of their revenue coming from just the standard ad networks and they see how things are changing. And so they're, they're working on um, changing the, the, the balance of payments there. So when one thing goes down, it doesn't totally tank everything. Well, this was stellar. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for having me. Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about what Bill is up to, you can visit cultivatewp.com. Thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. Again, this has been your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.